welcome to Science is Fun E. I'm your host, Private, aka Avery. I am currently nine years old and in fourth grade. Joining me today is Skipper, aka Craig, who is currently 68 and a senior and gets discounts. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny, Private. So, what would you like to talk about today? Electricity and mermaids. <laughs> okay, let's do it. The other day, when I touched our car, I got a big shock. How come? Electrons. Electrons? I remember you said something about those last week, but what do they have to do with it? Wow, you remembered something I said? Cool. Yes, <laughs> I did mention them when we talked about where we came from. Remember? Stardust? Oh, uh, yeah. It was something to do with atoms and electrons, I think. Very good. I'll make a scientist out of you yet. Atoms are made from three parts. Protons, neutrons, and electrons. Protons and neutrons are found in the middle part of the atom called the nucleus. As in nuclear bombs, nuclear reactors, the nucleus has a positive charge. Charge? What do you mean, charge? Well, it's a type of attractive force. Oh, so it's cute? Not funny, Private. It's kind of funny, Skip. Well, a charge is an attractive force in a different way. You've played with magnets before, so you know that some ends of the magnets will stick to the opposite ends of other magnets, but the same type of ends push away from each other. Yeah, some magnets have plus signs on one end and minus signs on the other end. The plus and plus push away, and the plus and, a mi and minus attract, and they stick. I've played with some of your magnets. They're so strong I can't even pull them apart. Right. The plus signs means that that's a positive charge, and the minus signs indicate a negative charge. And you have to be very careful with my neodymium magnets. You could get a pretty bad pinch. Wait, so what does that all have to do with me getting a shock? Or just getting shocks in general? <laughs> really good. The negative electrons in the atoms are found in a cloud that surrounds the positive nucleus and... So that's why they're attracted to each other, right? Right. And each type of atom has a different number of electrons than other types of atoms. What do you mean by that? Well, you see the table of elements on the wall? Yeah, I see it all the time. Well, the number in the upper corners of the squares indicate the number of electrons and protons in that type of atom. So how many in lithium? Lithium is the first one on the second row. It has a three in the upper left corner and a two and one on the other side. Great. The three means it has three protons in the center nucleus and three electrons in the cloud that surrounds it. Because it has three pluses and three negatives, it... Is zero. Right. It's the same as if you had $3 and I took your $3 away. How many would you have? I would have zero dollars and you would have a black eye. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Okay, bad analogy. But charges are the same. Three positives and three negatives mean the atom has a zero charge and the atom is in balance. So what does the two and one mean on the other side? It means that most of the time... Two of the electrons will be very close to the nucleus, and one of them will be far away. Wait, so is that like the planets circling the sun up in outer space? No, 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 not even close. Many people have that idea about electrons that somehow they orbit like planets, but they really don't. They disappear from one place and reappear someplace else. Wait, 
they disappear? Where do they go? The ice cream shop? <laughs> yeah, it's cool, huh? Uh, and I hate to say this, but I don't know where they go, and I don't think anybody does. Maybe they go into a different dimension, but they do come back somewhere near the nucleus of their atom. So, again, why did I get a shock? Well, it's the fault of that pesky electron that's farther away from the nucleus. What's that guy's fault? Well, because further away from the nucleus the electrons are, the weaker the attractive force. Check out these two magnets. Hold them close. What do you feel? They're trying to stick together. Now, slowly move them apart, and what happens? Once they get a little farther apart, there's hardly any pull at all. Right, and that is what happens to the electron. After a certain point, there's only a little attraction to the nucleus, and it can be pulled away and get lost. Lost? Poor little electron. Does it ever find its way back? Most of the time, probably not, but it can find its way to another atom. Cool, but wait, if another atom captures it, won't that atom be out of balance? Right. The atom that lost the little guy now is out of balance, too. It has more positives in the nucleus than it has negatives in the cloud of electrons surrounding it. So the whole atom ends up with a positive charge. If one atom is negative and the other is positive, will they attract each other and maybe stick? Ah, I love you, Private. That's exactly what happens. The two atoms stick together and become a molecule. And molecules are what builds everything in the world. Everything in the world is made of molecules? Wow, cool. <laughs> yep, with some very, very few exceptions, everything. So, Skipper, why did I get a shock? <laughs> oh, sorry. I was getting to that. You see, when an object brushes over another object, sometimes a lot of those electrons that are far away from their nucleus get brushed off, making one of the objects very positive and the other object very negative. If the charges are strong enough, they will flow from one to the other, sometimes causing a spark. Wait, like lightning? Very good. Air moving over land, in certain cases, can cause a spark or lightning. People can brush a balloon over their hair, and it will pick up electrons and stick to a wall. When you shuffle your feet over a carpet, you'll pick up a lot of electrons. And then when you touch someone, not your sister or something, the charges will try to balance, and that can cause a spark. And you... Or your little sister will get a shock and cry, and your mother will yell at you, so don't do it. So, is a spark electricity? Oh, and good tip for the future. I will definitely do that. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. It's moving charges. Negative charged electrons trying to get to positive charged places. If we give them a wire made from copper or aluminum, then the charges can follow the wire, and we can make them do stuff, like run a computer or a radio or TV or cook food. Hey, that reminds me. I'm hungry. Let's eat. Okay. Yay, science. Got that right, Private. Now, what are you making me for dinner? I make a good PB&J. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, Skipper, do you remember the Little Mermaid movie? Yes, I do. It was cute. Why? I was wondering, could mermaids actually be real? No. How come? Well, let's start with a little research on the history of mermaids and mermen, and then come back and talk. Okay. Wow, there is a lot of history behind the mythology of mermaids and mermen. What do you think? Yeah, stories about them go back a long way. So tell me a little of what you've learned about little mermaids and mermen. Okay, I learned that mer means sea and maid is girl, so mermaid means sea girl. They had a girl's body from the waist up and a fish body from the waist down. 
How did they pee then? That's gross, Skipper. I'm a biologist. We think like that. Every animal pees and poops. I was just thinking. Oh, okay, sorry. Keep going. A lot of the stories have them singing to sailors. Well, that's nice of them. Good girl, Ariel. Which casts a spell on the sailors and caused them to dive into the sea and drown. Whoa, whoa, little mermaids killed sailors? Not nice, Ariel. And she seemed so sweet in the movie. Yeah, Disney based their Little Mermaid movie on Hans Christian Andersen's story of the Little Mermaid, but Disney changed how it ended. Wait, she didn't live happily ever after with the prince? Did Ursula win? What really happened? Read the story, Skip. Fine, don't tell me. I'll read the story for myself. I can't believe Disney would change it. I wonder how many other stories they changed. Hmm, like their movies about Pocahontas and Aladdin. Who knows what else? Maybe people should read the real histories and stories about those people instead of relying on the movie versions. You got that right. So what else did you learn about mermaids and mermen? Long ago, the ancient Babylonians worshipped a sea god named Ea. And in Greek mythology, the sea god Triton is usually shown with the upper body of a man and having a fish's tail. The sirens that attempted to lure Odysseus to his death in the Odyssey were mermaids. Cool. What else? Mermaids were bad in British folklore, too, so they usually predicted disasters or caused disasters to happen. Some people usually described them as huge. Mermaids could end up in fresh water late. There's one legend of a lord who thought he he saw a woman drowning in a lake. When he tried to jump in and save her, a servant pulled him back, telling him the woman was actually a mermaid. The mermaid got really mad and screamed that she would have killed him if it were not for the servant. Wow, looks like, for the most part, they're not very nice creatures. Yeah, but Skip, are they real? I saw pictures online that said they were of real mermaids and mermen. Nope, they're not real. Many people have produced so-called evidence, but when we look closer, all the evidence was shown to be fake. P.T. Barnum, a famous circus owner, had someone create the Fiji merman by sewing an ape's head on a fish's body. He charged people to look at it and made a lot of money. He said, there's a sucker born every minute. In other words, people will believe anything if they want to believe it. You see, most people aren't skeptical. What do you mean by skeptical? I've always thought that there were three kinds of people in the world. Ones that believed anything that they're told. They never question anything. I call them naive. Then there are those that never believe anything. They didn't already believe, no matter how much evidence you show them. We call them cynics. And then there's the type I try to be, the skeptics. Tell them or show them something. Those people want to see the evidence first. And then they'll decide to believe it or not. Or maybe they will change their minds about what they think is true based on the new evidence. Remember, real evidence points you to the truth. And the more real evidence you have, the more confident you can be that what you believe is true. What do you mean by real evidence? Real evidence. Hmm. It's a good start to ask where does the evidence come from? What does that have to do with any of it? Years before you were born, the tobacco industry produced evidence that tobacco really didn't cause any health problems. Some even said that it was actually good for you to smoke. Seriously? Smoking good for you? That's ridiculous! <laughs> yep, we know that now, but you see, their evidence came from their people. People whose livelihood and money depended on them finding or creating evidence that smoking was not bad. Even when they did find that it was bad for people's health, they stashed it away and didn't tell anybody. That's terrible. Why would they do that? 
so they could keep their jobs and continue to support their families. Political parties do the same thing. They produce so-called evidence to show their side more favorably than the other side. They may say the other side produces fake evidence or fake news. So what can you believe? You want your evidence to come from a lot of different sources. You can be pretty sure that the evidence is real if the information is coming from places that have nothing to gain or lose by the outcome. What does that mean? It means that they are not associated with either side. Good sources are sources that are only looking for the truth, no matter what it is, like scientists. And also, if the same evidence can be reproduced by other people. What do you mean by reproduced by other people? That sounds like copyright. (laughs) That's not the way it is in science. If the evidence can only be produced by one person or group, it probably isn't real. So if there isn't any real evidence for mermaids, where did all the stories even come from? I think most scientists think that manatees and dugongs probably are where the first stories of mermaids came from. Manatees are large mammals that lived around the world along the shores and coasts. They carry their young like women carry babies. Maybe sailors, after spending many months at sea, suffering from scurvy or malnutrition, saw manatees and told stories of women that were half human and half fish when they came home. And like all stories that are passed from person to person, their stories grew and changed over time, becoming very different from the way the story was when it was first told. Some historians even think that long flowing hair of the mermaids came from seaweed that covered the top of the manatee's head when it comes up for air. Sailors thought they saw a mermaid when they looked at an ugly manatee with seaweed on its head? Wow, sailors are really weird. Whoa, whoa, hey, I was a sailor. Proves I'm right. Now I know they're weird. Not funny, Private. Kind of funny, Skip. Seriously, sailors away at sea from their girlfriends and wives for months and sometimes years begin to see what they most want to see. Even Christopher Columbus wrote in his log that he saw a mermaid, but said it wasn't as beautiful as the pictures led him to believe. But could they actually be real? I doubt it, Private. If they have upper bodies like humans, then they would have to have lungs. Lungs are made to capture oxygen from air. Fish have gills. Gills are made to capture oxygen from water. So what? Well, there's a lot less oxygen in water than there is in air. So lungs would not be able to get enough oxygen for the mermaid or merman cells to live. Remember, our cells have mitochondria, and they need a lot of oxygen to make the ATP for us. If our cells don't get enough ATP, they die, taking us with them. That's called drowning. Oh, so that's why we drown when we stay underwater too long. Our lungs can't get enough oxygen from the water, and that must be why fish die out of water. They can't get the oxygen out of air. That's right. Very good. You make me proud. And that is why mermaids don't exist. Aw, too bad now. Well, it's time for the question of the week. So last week, we talked about where the months got their names, and our question was, so who named the days of the week? Well, here's the answer. The Greeks named the first day for the sun, and they called it Sun's Day in Greek. And the second was named for the moon, and it was called the Moon's Day, and that became our Monday. The third through the seventh days were named for their planets, which were named for their gods, Ares, Hermes, Zeus, Aphrodite, and Cronus. And then the Romans came along and substituted their gods for the Greek gods. So the third through the seventh days became Mars, Mercury, Jove, Venus, and Saturn, which became our Saturday. 
Then along came the Germanic people, and they substituted their gods for the Roman gods, except for Saturn. And so the third day became Tiu's day. Tiu is a Germanic god of war in the sky. And that became our Tuesday. Wooden's day, which was the fourth day, became our Wednesday. Wooden was a chief Anglo-Saxon god, and his name means violently insane. <laughs> the fifth day was named Thor's day, and that became our Thursday. Thor was Norse god of thunder. And the sixth day was Freya's day. Freya is a Teutonic god of love and beauty and procreation, and she's similar to Venus and Aphrodite, the Roman and Greek goddesses of love and beauty. Freya's day became our Friday, and the last day, Saturn's day, became our Saturday. Saturn was the god of agriculture. He's believed to have ruled the earth during the age of happiness and virtue. So here's next week's question. Is it true that nothing starts with the letter N? podcast for this week. Come back next week for another episode of Science is Fun Eve. Oh, and don't forget to visit our website at www.scienceisfune.com or listen on iTunes or just search for Science is Fun E in the podcast section. You can contact us with your answer to the question of the week at question at scienceisfune.com. Or to suggest possible topics for upcoming episodes, email topics at scienceisfune.com. You can email me at private at sciencesfune.com or skipper at sciencesfune.com. I'm private, aka Avery, hoping you have a great week. TTFN!